0: This is the Year You Retire podcast for people who want their first year of retirement to be right on the money. Your hosts are me, Jim Uren, and John Beaver, certified financial planner professionals with Phase 3 Advisory Services. Retirement is one of the happiest times of life, but getting the most out of it requires you to be properly prepared. Listen along as we explore the financial topics, tips, and strategies that will help you make your first year of retirement your best year yet. Now let's get planning. Welcome everyone to this week's episode. Today, we're diving headfirst into one of the most important decisions you'll make as you approach the year you retire. Should you work with a financial advisor or do it yourself? In this episode, we'll discuss the pros and the cons of each approach and share some of the research that has been done on this very question. We'll also discuss the different types of advisors and what you should look for in an an advisor if you do decide to
1: work with a professional.
0: But first, we like to often start with some trivia questions. Hi, John. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How about you, Jim?
0: Doing well. Doing well. So our first question is, how many financial advisors are there in the United States? This is one of those choose the best possible answers (laughs) because it's not exact. But uh, are there about 100,000? About 300,000 or about 800,000?
1: Well, Jim, I know there's at least two because there's you and I.
0: (laughs) That's right. So the answer is, it's hard to know. But the estimates range, depending on your source, from about 240 to 370,000. So the answer is about 300,000, give or take. And uh, one of the challenges, of course, is the definition of a financial advisor is not that easy (laughs) to agree upon. And uh, in the U.S., uh, at least so far, that terminology has not uh, not been too regulated, as it is in some other uh, other countries. But related to that, one more trivia question: How many certified financial planner professionals are there in the United States? About a hundred thousand, about one hundred and fifty thousand, or about two hundred thousand? Well, the answer, according to the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards is right now they've just crossed over 95,000. So the answer is about 100,000. There's about 100,000 certified financial planner professionals in the U.S., and we'll talk a little bit later about what that means. So
1: let's dive into our topic, John. All right. So advantage of the do-it-yourself approach. What are they, Jim? Yes. So
0: there are are a couple advantages, right, of the do-it-yourself approach, and research shows that, About a third of the adult population in the U.S. is working with an advisor. And so that doesn't mean the rest are do-it-yourself. Probably the biggest chunk is the do-nothing group. But there are some who are actually working hard to do it yourself. And there are some advantages. The first advantage, of course, is cost, right? Right advisors, we do get paid for the work that we do. And so like with anything in life, if you change your own oil, you can save money, right? So you've just got to determine what makes the most sense for you. But that, of course, is a potential advantage is that you could potentially save some uh, cost if you do it yourself. And the other possible advantage for some people is really personal enjoyment, right? People like you and I, John, who just love yep. this stuff, love reading journal articles, love staying up to date on the latest news. Uh, and so, we totally get this. There is certainly a personal enjoyment for some for some that can come with this. So there are some advantages, no doubt about it, in the do-it-yourself approach. And for some people, that really works. And some of the research suggests that uh, some of those folks can actually do fairly well, fairly well. So it's certainly
1: a legitimate option. Yeah, i remember one of my clients from years ago we worked together for many years i was the second opinion for her she was a do-it-yourselfer and she would come in every couple of years and go i'm just you know am i on track here you think i'm doing the right thing and she absolutely loved it she ran the family's finances you know for all of time i started working with her just right after her husband passed on and she, i tell you she loved it she uh in fact she really Dreaded the day when she knew she had to give it up because she just got to that point where she she mm-hmm. couldn't handle it anymore in the last couple of years of life. But it was it gave her life, no question. Absolutely, and some of us are just built that way, aren't they, we? That is so true. But there are also disadvantages to the DYI approach. What are those, Jim?
0: Yeah, so probably the two biggest drawbacks initially, and I guess the first one I'll, I'll call the first one time and energy. Right, that's mm-hmm. the first big drawback. And, um, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, you know, our clients, the clients we work with as a group are really highly intelligent. I mean, this the, the DIY thing is not, you know, people don't not do that because they can't do it, right? right. Uh, virtually every one of our clients is very intelligent, very capable of doing it. But I say they lack one or two things. That is either time or the interest in staying informed, right? Yeah. So a lot of our clients are very busy. Uh, and so they just don't have time to stay up on stuff. But the other was kind of the inverse of what we talked about already. There are people who could not find anything more boring to do right. than stay up and read a journal article on the latest investment or insurance strategies. And so for some people, they would they would rather go to the dentist than do this themselves. And I've, <laughs> I've heard many say that. Uh, of course, the other real potential drawback is costly mistakes, right? Now, that could be something major, and we've seen that, right? We've seen people come in or talk to others who have made a major mistake, and it was very clear that it was a major mistake. But for a lot of other people, it's not necessarily a catastrophic mistake. It might just be missing out on something. It might be missing out on tax savings every year, and that can really add up over time. And so the mistakes might be major or they might be minor. That just happen every year. And so that's the other potential disadvantage of a DIY approach is it could be costing you money and you may or may not be aware of it. And this will become a little more clear later as we transition to some of the advantages of working with an advisor. So what are some of those advantages of working with an advisor? Well, let's actually first, if it's okay, John, let's talk about the disadvantages of working okay. with an advisor. Let's go there. And so, of course, as I mentioned before, the, the disadvantage is cost, right? Like any professional, we do get paid for the work we do and for the knowledge that we've accumulated over the years. And, you know, sometimes this might be an hourly fee. It could be a percentage of assets managed. It could be a commission. You know, advisors get paid in a, in all sorts of ways, often in a combination of those ways. And so that is a potential disadvantage, as it does sometimes cost money. Now, the other potential disadvantage is that you could end up working with the wrong advisor. What could that mean? That might mean getting some bad advice. That advice might be very conflicted in terms of, you know, what their incentives are to advise you on And, uh, and or they may just provide very few services or actual value compared to the fee that you pay them. So it could be a variety of things. You could just end up with the wrong advisor and end up either getting bad advice or simply not getting very much for the cost that you pay to work with the advisor. So those are kind of the, the potential disadvantages
1: of working with a, with a financial advisor. All right. So Jim, as you can tell, I'm I'm really eager to get to the advantages of working with an (laughs) advisor. So what are those? Sure.
0: So now this is this is interesting because you would think, John, with as much of the economy the financial services represents, that there'd be a ton of research on this topic. And believe it or not, there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not okay. a lot of research on this topic. Now, I will acknowledge, obviously, some biases. Right? Certainly, you and I are biased because yep. we are financial advisors, and uh, we really see the value in the work that that we do. And some of the research out there can also be biased, depending on who is paying for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other disclaimer I'll make is that, you know, the benefits are going to vary greatly from person to person, right? The potential advantages of working with a financial advisor. So for example, John, if you went and hired a financial advisor, (laughs) you probably wouldn't get much value out of it, right? Because this is what you do. You already, you already know all this. Might save you a little bit of time if you could offload a little bit of the work uh, that you do. Maybe they could rebalance your portfolio for you. But Generally, you wouldn't get much out of it. So, that's just an extreme example of it's going to vary greatly based on how much financial knowledge and time someone has that they can bring to the table. So, those yeah. are kind of the disclaimers. Now, there are, I'm going to cover kind of four main advantages that we'll highlight, and then we'll get into a little bit more detail on each of those. The, the first advantage is confidence that you can have. So people working with an advisor display greater confidence. There are what we'll call holistic wealth benefits. There are financial benefits and actual dollars that can be improved upon by working with a financial advisor. And the fourth main advantage I'll call, I'm just calling the benefit of saving time and effort. So we've talked about this, just literally having someone else do the work so you don't have to take the time and the effort to do it. Now, That fourth one is really more of my addition. I want to highlight those first three. I've really taken those from a doctoral thesis written by a gentleman named Preet Banerjee. I've seen him many places. I had the privilege of attending an educational session with him at a recent conference. And uh, he did his doctoral thesis looking at this. And one of the things he did identify is the fact that there's very little research Mm -hmm. in these areas, partly because it's hard to do. But he identified three areas. One is confidence, looking at, is there an increase in confidence levels of people who work with advisors? Second, he looked at what he calls the holistic wealth benefit. He actually came up with a score, a holistic wealth score Mm -hmm. that he tabulated. And these first two are what we call non-financial benefits. And these are the ones where a lot of the research is lacking, where virtually all the research rest is on on the financial benefit side. In other words, where they can actually look at portfolios and compare two groups and say, has this group actually, do they actually have more money in their portfolio than the other group? Mm -hmm. Therefore, that may be an indication that, you know, working with an advisor is helpful, et cetera. And so those are kind of the four main advantages of
1: working with an advisor. All right. So confidence. Let's cover that one first. What does the research say about the confidence level of people who work with a financial advisor?
0: So the research shows that people are more generally confident. They're more confident when they work with an advisor. So a recent Northwestern Mutual study, actually from 2023, found that people who work with an advisor have significantly higher levels of confidence across a range of areas, including being prepared for unplanned expenses. They were 30% percentage points higher in that category. Uh, Being able to retire. They were more confident being able to retire when the time comes. They were were 29% points higher if they worked with an advisor in terms of their confidence level. And achieving long-term financial security. They were 28 percentage points higher in confidence level if they worked with an advisor. And that's not the only study. I mean, there's lots of research that also finds that confidence is higher when working with an advisor. Um, This is true across genders, Uh, a group called LIMRA, which is part of the insurance group. they, uh, They did a study recently looking at just women, same thing, confidence levels much higher. And that's hard to measure right in terms of dollar term, but confidence is valuable. I mean, what's the opposite of confidence? You know, fear and worry. Right. And I don't know about you, John, but I generally in any area of my life do prefer to have less fear and worry. Yeah, I would agree <laughs> with that.
1: <laughs> That's an easy there's,
0: answer. W- there's lots of other areas of my life I wish I could offload fear and worry. I'd pay a lot of money yeah. uh, to do that in certain areas. But uh, so anyway, there's there's certainly a value, even though we can't necessarily put an economic price on it. But the oh. research is clear. People who work with advisors tend to be have much higher
1: confidence in achieving a lot of their financial goals. Okay, so got that one down. What about these holistic benefits? What are they? What are the benefits of working with a financial advisor on a holistic side?
0: Certainly. So in this uh, doctoral thesis that Dr. Banerjee did, uh, he looked at kind of breadth of advice received in areas such as insurance, investing, emergency funds, debt management, retirement planning, tax management, estate planning, and education savings. And so you know these areas don't necessarily show up in someone's net worth. In right. fact, it's the opposite. So, an example: life insurance. So, John, let's say you've got a young couple coming in. Maybe they're making two hundred thousand dollars as a household. They've got three kids, you know, in preschool, and they've got don't have a lot saved because they're they're young. They're just starting out, and they have zero life insurance. Would you likely recommend they need some life insurance?
1: Oh definitely and believe it or not just had one of those cases come in the door this last year.
0: <laughs> yeah, it happens. And so we recommend they get life insurance. Let's say let's say maybe we recommend a nice 20-year term life insurance policy to get those kids uh you know grown up. John, if we look at that client's bank account after they purchase an insurance policy, is that bank account going to be higher or lower than it was before they bought the policy?
1: Well, maybe a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah, it's going
0: to be a little bit lower, right? In other words, if we look at their portfolio, we're not going to see the advantage, dollar-wise, of life insurance. And yet I think everyone would agree that family is much better off having that life insurance in place, even though it's still statistically likely in 20 years they'll both still be alive. They won't have needed that insurance policy, and they've spent that money. And yet we all intuitively recognize it's still a very wise decision because something could have happened. That would have devastated the family financially, and so having that would be helpful. Similar to estate planning, right? Yes. We pay sometimes for estate planning, and uh, it doesn't actually increase our bank account right now, but it gives us peace of mind. It makes sure that our next generation, uh, things are much simpler for them, assets are protected, et cetera, et cetera. There's value in a lot of this holistic approach. And there are some, though, benefits that can be real dollars, like tax savings. So, you Mm -hmm. know, when we do a financial plan for people, uh, we recommend a lot of things to help improve and increase their tax savings. And that does add some real dollars to their pocket. However, that can be hard to show up in a research study. They're just hard to do. And if you save someone $500 in taxes for a particular recommendation, and maybe that's going to save them $500 every year, that money doesn't necessarily go in the portfolio, right? That may, right. Go, that may go to fund eating out more, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to measure, but there are real values to that. And I think a real additional uh, benefit, too, of course, is just avoiding and trying to conquer procrastination, which can yeah. be a real a real challenge for all of us in every area of life.
1: It is. That's actually one of the biggest impediments in the financial planning world, why people don't proceed. It's, uh, it's this procrastination. They know they need to do it and it's they're bugging them, but life gets in the way. So oftentimes we're acting as that little nudge, right? We give mm-hmm. people nudges to take action on things that they need to take action on. Exactly. So what are some of the potential portfolio specific benefits of working with an advisor? So this
0: is where a lot more research is done. So we're on a little bit more solid ground here. And again, it's very hard to do. And it varies greatly person to person. So you need to keep that in mind. Now, what a lot of the research has done, because it again, it's hard to quantify, but what they've done is they've tried to attempt to convert the benefit into what would be an equivalent extra rate of return on a portfolio. So Mm. with all of these, we'll say, okay, if you have this particular service or advantage of working with an advisor, it has the potential to increase your rate of return by X percent. And of course, even a 1% increase in your rate of return over your lifetime means huge, huge dollar difference for people. So kind of keep that in mind, but the first is really the first number, the first uh, benefit, so to speak, is what I'm calling asset selection and allocation. Now, Each of these studies approach things a little differently. So I'm kind of summarizing, pushing some things together where they best fit, but they all approach a little differently. But asset selection and allocation. And this is really recommending an appropriate investment mix. You know, how much should you have in stocks? How much in bonds? How much in large cap growth or small cap value, et cetera? But it also includes identifying, you know, the most cost effective investment options and identifying a risk level that fits with your personal risk tolerance Mm -hmm. and need for growth. Now research shows in these particular studies, this can add up up to an extra half a percent of extra rate of return. Uh, And again, that's each year and so that's compounded. That is not insignificant, That's, that's very good. So the first benefit is really helping you with the asset selection and allocation. The next benefit that was identified in virtually all the studies was rebalancing. And John, can you explain a little bit about
1: why we rebalance a yes. portfolio? So when we rebalance, we're going back to the original target allocation of the percent that we would wanna have in, say, large company stocks and those that might be more value-oriented or into mid-size companies or into the real estate sector or into bonds, whether they be short-term or long-term. This rebalancing is important because some areas may drop and other areas may gain and what happens is you capture some of those gains and put it into those that are down that then have the potential of growing we're buying at a cheaper level so the rebalancing is important it can sometimes be done annually or quarterly that's not as important what's important is to make sure that rebalancing is done and that can add somewhere between 15 what we call basis points 0.15 percent as much as 0.3 percent almost a third of a percent additional value through this rebalancing additional return.
0: Absolutely. And the other benefit that uh, it's not quantified, but it also helps make sure you keep within that risk tolerance, right? Because yes. if you start off with 20% in stocks and you never rebalance 20 years later, you might have 60% in stocks and you've got a whole lot more risk in your portfolio than you are comfortable with. So yes, but yes, that rebalancing is really important because it does, uh, it can add some excess returns. Uh, The next benefit, the third benefit, which is really, really critical, is withdrawal strategies. Now, this is a little bit more applicable in retirement. It can be a little bit during, you know, your pre-retirement years as well, because there are still occasions where we draw from the portfolio. But particularly when you enter the retirement years, most people, they've got some in their money in their 401k, some in their IRA, some in their Roth IRA, some in just a regular account. Maybe they've got some in a trust account. How do you know which account that you should start taking your money from first? And how do you know how much money to take each year? Now, that's where a withdrawal strategy comes into play. And there are many of them. Uh, Probably the best book written on this is a book by a guy named Wade Fow. He's a professor at the American College, and he wrote a book uh, within the last few years called How Much Can I Spend in Retirement? And he details a variety of withdrawal strategies. Some are dynamic, meaning you're making changes all the time. Some are a little bit more static. It's just the same formula every year. But there are a variety of approaches uh, to this. It's a technical book, but very, very important. But in retirement, you don't just take proportionally from every account, right? Right. Right. Uh, There are much more effective ways to help your money last longer in retirement if you can have a proper withdrawal strategy. Now, the research shows that this can add up to 1.2% of excess return in your portfolio. And so that can make a big difference. Uh, John, what are some of the mistakes you've seen people make with withdrawal strategies?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I've seen some of those mistakes being, oh, you know what? We're not going to need to take anything for five years. Three months later, yeah, we decided to put a deck on the house. So when it comes to the withdrawal strategies, we always want to uh, put in place a buffer zone That's uh, that we use in the withdrawal strategy. So that's actually one of the first things that gets the basic of 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 even just how much they're going to withdraw. The second mistake that I've seen is where people say, well, I don't wanna pay any taxes this year. You know, I'm I'm barely in a a tax bracket. I just don't wanna pay any tax. And so they're gonna take it maybe out of a Roth IRA or they wanna take it out of a non-qualified account. Well, when we do our projections, we do long range tax planning projections and it may actually make sense to pull money that particular year out of a a taxable account that would create a, a little bit of a tax hit because long term, it makes more sense. Another one is where people just say, Hey, I'm going to live on the same amount no matter what happens. Sometimes we have to make adjust- adjustments based on what's happening in the market or based on future goals. And so that's where a dynamic conversation with a client is so important. And why we do reviews so we can explore some of these things. So, those are some of the uh, less well known uh, uh, mistakes that people make in the withdrawal strategies.
0: Yes. And the other thing, of course, is withdrawals don't tend to be even, right? So you've got right. one year where a client, you know, their their car dies, their roof leaks, their hot water heater goes. And so even though we've been maybe pulling money primarily from two certain accounts for this extra money, it may not make sense to do that. It, this is where we look at each client's case and say, actually, for the rest of this year, this extra money needs to come from, you know, this third account, yeah, because that makes the most sense from a tax portfolio withdrawal strategy. So that is the withdrawal strategy that can add up to up to 1.2 percent excess return. According to the research, again, it's going to vary based on the person. The next advantage of working with an advisor that has been identified in the research is behavioral coaching. Now, it's funny because research shows that the value of this is way underestimated by clients. But the benefits are huge. It's kind of like if you ask anybody, you know, hey, Does advertising work on you? Absolutely not. None of us buy anything based on advertising. And yet the advertisers spend billions of dollars every year because it does influence us. Behavioral coaching is really, really important. Investing is a very emotional undertaking. And it can be easy to start selling when the markets are down and start buying when the markets are up. I don't think we have a week that goes by, particularly when the markets are down that we don't have conversations with clients who are who are concerned right yes. and so a lot of what we do as advisors is we have the advantage of saying okay even though the markets are down let's rerun your analysis look at you're still on track we don't have to worry we can we can stay in there and uh, invest for the long haul which is really important and that's because One of the biggest challenges when it comes to retirement savings is what we call bad investment behavior. It's getting out of the market because you got nervous, getting back in when things finally go up, it obliterates performance. Every year there are groups that publish. There's a distinction between what a mutual fund, so let's say you see a mutual fund advertised and it says, we average 10% rate of return over the past five years. That's probably true. If you had been invested the whole five years, that was that was your return. But John, if we look at the actual performance that the average investor in that fund received, is it going to be higher or lower than that amount?
1: It is going to be lower, and it is going to be substantially lower. It is shocking how much lower it is. How that and explain, behavior affects. explain why that is. Why would they get less than the fund said? What you just said, because people tend to put money into the fund after it's had a rally. They say, oh, the fund was up 25%. I should put my money in. And they get scared when the market goes down or that particular fund goes down.
0: Yes. And we see these research numbers all the time. If you ever see the performance numbers of, an, of anything, recognize that the average person probably earned less than that because they didn't stick with the investment, right? They, they yes. got in, like you said, John. They chase performance, as they say. And that often means they bought in at the wrong exact times.
1: Exactly. That's what we call investing with your eyes in the rearview mirror. You know, it's good to glance in the rearview mirror when you're driving. It's not a good idea to keep your eyes in the rearview mirror as you're driving.
0: Absolutely. And an advisor can help you stay focused on that long term. They can help you keep from moving in and out of the markets. I know we've had many conversations, John, where there's been issues, sometimes political, where people knee jerk react and they just yeah. want to get out Yep. and we've been able to, you know, help them stay the course. Look at, uh, look at 2020, right? John, mm-hmm. that first quarter yes. was awful and we were all scared to death, right? Not just financially. Yeah. We didn't know what was going to happen. Did not know what was going to happen. And the market was, the market was taking a bad dive. It was an awful quarter. One of the worst, you know, and, you know, about a 10 year stretch, but by the end of the year, None of us would have guessed this, that first quarter. By the end of the year, the market had actually gained for the year. Yep, yep. And again, if you had sold because of COVID, you would have missed out on gains that year. And that's unfortunately, though, what a lot of people do. So a financial advisor can help keep us focused on our long-term goals. And the, the research in these few studies indicate that that behavioral coaching can add up to 2% extra rate of return a rate of return in terms of investment performance. That is significant. That is significant. And again, that's because we tend to be emotional investors and that does not, that does not help. Okay, next benefit that the research identifies is asset location. And I'll throw in slash tax management because there's some overlap there. But essentially what this is, is this is identifying tax-efficient investments, but then identifying the most efficient location to hold them. John, can you talk a little bit about what asset location is? I mean, most of us have heard of asset allocation,
1: but not a lot of people are familiar with asset location. Right. So my portfolio design says I should have 30% in bonds. Okay but where do I hold those bonds? Should I hold those bonds in my Roth IRA? Should I do them in my 401k? Should I hold them outside of both of those accounts? So that's what is referred to as asset location and it can make a huge difference. For example, turning a long-term capital gain, which has special tax treatment, lower tax treatment, putting that into a vehicle like an IRA or a 401 401k can turn that into ordinary income down the road, which is not tax efficient. So that's the idea of this asset location and how that relates to taxes.
0: Yes. And like in your example, what a lot of people do, maybe they get right the fact that they should have 30% in bonds. They'll tend to just in every account hold 30% bonds, 70% stocks. And that's a disaster. If you've got bonds that are kicking off taxable income every year, it's better to hold those, for example, in your IRA or 401k because when that interest payment is made, it's tax deferred then. But if it's in a regular account, you're paying tax along the way. And like you said, John, for our growth assets that maybe incur capital gains, first of all, those are deferred until we sell. And so maybe we don't want those in our IRA because, you know, I can defer those for a while anyway. As long as I'm letting that particular investment grow, I may not incur much, but even when I do, I'm still going to pay a rate much lower because it's a capital gain rate versus a ordinary income tax rate, as you alluded to. And so where you're holding these assets can make a big difference. So it might be that account A we have actually very aggressive, but account B very conservative. But overall, the blend is a more moderate to fit your risk tolerance. But that can really boost your after-tax rate of return. And that's not going to show up in a portfolio performance report. Okay, it doesn't do that. But the research shows this can add up to an extra 1% rate of return if you get these tax issues right in terms of your asset location and tax management.
1: And here's a very practical benefit of working with a comprehensive financial planner because we look at the whole picture working with someone that just might be helping you with your IRA, well, they might not be aware of all the other holdings and the best asset location of all of your accounts. So when we take a look at the whole picture, we can really provide that key advice on getting the asset location right.
0: Absolutely. And combined, so, and I I should have explained a little bit, but these, I'm looking at really three studies that are put out by three companies, Morningstar, which is out of Chicago, Investnet, which I believe is also out of Chicago. They're a money manager compiler. um, And Vanguard, uh, which we've certainly heard of. But they've each done these individual studies on trying to figure out how much excess return might an advisor provide to somebody. And um, it's hard to total from the numbers we gave because I was combining them. But if I look at each one of these studies, they range anywhere from on the low end Morningstar believes that you can add up to 1.59% excess return with an advisor, but InvestNet and Vanguard studies uh, both end up uh, a little bit around that 3% or higher. Uh, Again, varies greatly by person and how much knowledge you're bringing to the table, what behaviors and practices you're doing. But those are significant additional values that an advisor can bring to the table. And again, that's just on the more measurable side, not including like the confidence, the holistic wealth plan. So the potential of working with an advisor is to provide an awful lot of value if you're working with the right advisor and if they're doing the right things to help get you the benefit of each of these types of services. All right, Jim, I haven't
1: heard you talk about picking the right stock yet.
0: Yes, that's something that's missing. If you notice, that was not on the list. (laughs) On the list was not beating the market or a.k.a. stock picking. Now, What's interesting is a lot of the research shows that that's kind of what clients are expecting from their advisor. And most advisors are kind of like, that's not the value I'm providing. And that's because uh, the research is also showing that's becoming virtually impossible nowadays uh, for a variety of reasons, topic for another show. But that's not where... The advisor provides a lot of value. There's a ton of value the advisor can provide. But stock picking or, quote, unquote, beating the market is not one of them. We can often provide excess rates of return through some of these things we mentioned, like keeping your tax bill lower, you know, keeping you in the market, um, you know, asset location. I mean, there are things that can add to, to uh, extra rates of return. Uh, but not stock picking, and so I think that's important for uh, for people to understand. So very good point, John.
1: Thank you for bringing that up. Sure. So, what should someone do if they're thinking about hiring an advisor? What are the steps they should take? Great
0: question. So if this is if this is you, if you're thinking about maybe hiring an advisor, probably the first piece of advice we like to give is to look for a certified financial Planner professional, as kind of the trivia at the beginning of the episode indicated, right there, you've eliminated at least two thirds to three quarters of all advisors out there,
1: down to 95,000 to choose from.
0: That's right. And as and as John and I have talked about, not all of those 95,000 actually are client facing people, right, they're not, not actually advising. Some of them are academics, some of them are support staff, etc. Uh, so there's even fewer, unfortunately. But the certified financial planner designation. It, of course, does not guarantee a great advisor, but it at least helps ensure that this advisor has had a very well um, involved education in terms of various aspects of not just investment planning, but financial planning in general, which covers a lot of the things that we've discussed. So we would recommend starting with that. Second thing, we do encourage you to find an advisor who practices according to a fiduciary standard. That's simply acting in the best interest of the clients. Not all advisors at uh, this time are held to that standard by the government. Right. Now, one good thing is all certified financial planner professionals do take a pledge to provide fiduciary standards. However, I want to say that it's, it's helpful but it's not a guarantee of great advice. Right. So there, there was an interesting study out of Canada recently where they looked at fiduciary advisors, and you know, the fear I think is with a with a you know non fiduciary advisor that they're telling you to do something and they're doing the opposite. Well, what this showed was you know these fiduciary advisors, they weren't doing that. They mm. were investing in the same things they were recommending to their clients. So it wasn't like they were trying to you know recommend things they didn't like. The yeah. problem was what they recommended still wasn't great. Yeah. And so uh, so the fiduciary standard, it's helpful, but it's important to know more uh, about your advisor than just that. Their their philosophy, their approach still needs to be a good one uh, and not just fiduciary, but we certainly prefer fiduciary. The third thing we encourage you to do is, is just to check the disciplinary record of your financial advisor. Most of them actually are required to have this on their website. Mm-hmm. You can either go to Finra, that's F-N. I'm sorry, F-I-N-R-A. They have a broker check, or the SEC has an Investment Advisor Public Disclosure page. Again, most advisors have this on their website you can link to and check their particular record. Hopefully, it comes back clean. Um, you can also just Google search how to check an advisor's disciplinary record, and these two sites will show up. So you could probably spend two minutes, and you can at least get a check. And if there's a lot of red flags, you'll know that. Uh, The other thing we recommend is just understand how the advisor is compensated. Keep in mind, there's a potential conflict of interest in any method of compensation for the advisor. Um, Some advisors work on an hourly, we'll call, slash project, slash flat fee basis. And potential conflicts of interest in that could be that advisor may not know what they're doing. They may not do a good job. Mm -hmm. And they may not stay up to date on the more available, you know, the latest available investment in insurance products, because they just don't have an incentive to do that. So you just want to be careful that some advisors work on a percentage of assets under management. They just charge you a percentage of your assets that they're managing. Potential conflict there could be the investor, the the advisor rather, maybe providing inadequate services for the fee that they're charging for the portfolio management. They also can have a bias towards keeping money in your portfolio, right? Because they get paid on that versus maybe if you're interested in paying down your mortgage or purchasing insurance, they may want to discourage that because that reduces their compensation. And then the third option, of course, some advisors work on a commission basis. This, of course, conflicts are a little bit more obvious, but oftentimes advisors who only work on a commission uh, do not provide comprehensive financial planning. They can maybe only recommend products or based on the commission they get, not necessarily what might be best for you. And generally, they don't do any ongoing monitor monitoring of your financial plan, if they even do a financial plan to begin with. And of course, a lot of advisors work in a variety of these capacities like we do. We can work in a variety of ways with clients, depending on what fits them the most. But again, just understand how your advisor is compensated so you can take that into account when you're working with them. Yeah. Next thing we recommend is look for someone with experience. I mean, the rule of thumb is right. If you can do something for 10 years, that's what's really needed to become really good at your particular skill or job. And so we look for someone with experience. And then the last thing we just say is, you know, meet with this, meet with the advisor. Yes. A lot of times, most advisors will do a no obligation phone call or a meeting or both. We do that at phase three. Always happy to do that. If you're considering working with an advisor, happy to talk to you on the phone, happy to meet with you at the office. Again, no obligation. We don't charge for that. That's pretty common in the industry. But reach out. If you if you don't like it, don't worry about it. You can continue to do it yourself. But this is a great way that you can meet with a potential advisor and see if it's a good fit. Because at the end of the day, sometimes it just comes down to gut feeling. Is this someone I feel like I could work with, someone I could take, trust, take advice from. And uh, that I have a a connection with. So that's kind of the the approach. And, And John, the other thing we can do, even if someone is working with an advisor, is give a second opinion. Maybe you can chat a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I've had uh, many occasions to give a second opinion, both a second opinion to the do-it-yourselfers, and I do have a handful of those, and it's a a lot of fun working with them. But also a second opinion to people that have worked with other advisors, and I've seen situations from those that uh, have really had some bad advice uh, to those that have actually had some decent advice. I remember one case where the plan was perfectly fine. They just got to where they didn't like the advisor. There was some kind of an interpersonal Uh, issue that they, uh, they were looking for a second opinion. And uh, it's always nice to get that second opinion, especially when it can give you that confidence of speaking of the beginning of this session, talking about the confidence, uh, that confidence that they are on track.
0: Yes. And I know there's been many times where our second opinion has been, we think things are fine. I mean, we've, we've sat down with folks who really came in sometimes because they were frustrated with investment performance and we said hey look at this actually this is a very appropriate portfolio it's just been volatile yeah and this is not beyond what's expected maybe maybe you're you know you're taking more risks than you need to and that's something to talk about with your advisor but generally this is looking pretty good and of course we've we've seen the others where we've been embarrassed at some of the recommendations mm-hmm. fellow advisors out there sometimes with designations we have uh, with the advice they've given but always open to a second opinion if you already work with an advisor but same, same thing feel free to schedule a no obligation call happy to happy to chat with you so that's an overview John of the do it yourself versus financial advisor pros and cons of each generally we're heavily biased but we do believe there's a lot of value that a good financial advisor can really bring to your to your financial plan that can really help you stay on track boost your confidence, and put you in a much better position to handle both the expected and unexpected challenges that life may throw at you. So, John, before we wrap up, talk about what we are thankful for today. Tell us what is on, what are we going to talk about on our next episode?
1: Oh, this is going to be great. So one of the things that people worry about as they get to this year when they retire is, do I have enough money? So one of the things that we look at is, How to help people budget. Do you want to ensure that you don't run out of money in retirement? Well, one of the things that you can control is your spending. can't control investment return, but you can control your spending. And you need tools to help you easily track your expenses. So we're going to discuss tips and tools for building and keeping an eye on your spending in retirement.
0: Wonderful. You will not want to miss that because we get some really practical uh, options because at the end of the day, there's a lot of great tools out there that can really help us do what we need to do. So John, what are
1: you thankful for today? Well, talking about working with an advisor, I have to tell you, I am very thankful for landing in this industry. It is very rewarding and I have met wonderful people, fantastic people who have really added to my life. It's very enriching. So I'm very thankful for this profession.
0: I concur. I concur. And I was thinking today just how thankful I am. Similar to our staff that we have uh, at Phase yeah. 3. And you know, we've worked with a number of people through the years. Some, some have retired, some have uh, moved out of state. But I am thankful for the staff members that we have that really make you and I look much better yep. <laughs> than we really are, right? Yep. we are better organized than we are, who have a lot of skills they bring to the table. Uh, and who do everything with such uh, such a great attitude. And I'm so thankful uh, to have people who really help make the work experience more enjoyable, which makes it easier for us to serve our clients. Yeah, And uh, I know our clients have um, felt the same way when they've talked to people. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to tune into our next episode. And for additional show notes of the Year You Retire podcast, you can go right to our website, at phase3advisory.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.